everyone. Welcome back to The Essentials. I'm your host, Maddie Flint, and this episode is going to be a very cool one. I'm talking about what it is like growing up in America as a Gen Zer, and my parents are here with me to talk about growing up in America as a member of the baby boomer generation and as a member of Generation X. Comparing and contrasting these generational customary differences is so interesting to me. I really like learning about people, like how humanity and society changes over the years. And if you were wondering, or not, I have a double minor at UAlbany. I'm studying anthropology and linguistics, so I'm really getting to explore these fields of study even more, and it's pretty interesting. So, I'm starting off with a brief general description of these seven named generations, because before a certain point, nobody was actually naming any of these generations. So obviously there were countless generations before the point of naming, and there will be um, however many that happen after this point in time. But for now, I have a list of the seven named generations, and I'm going to just give a quick little description of each. And the descriptions are from an article called Generation Names Explained by Veronica Thompson on the Daily Free Press, which is the independent student newspaper at Boston University. So first up, the Lost Generation, born 1883 to 1900. Coined by the author Gertrude Stein, this name refers to individuals who came of age during the First World War. That's really scary, but and sad, actually. Observing an unimaginable loss of life as well as mass immigration, the term encompasses the general sense of purposelessness and aimlessness many youth experienced at the time. These feelings were famously featured in works of American writers such as Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Read The Great Gatsby. It is such a classic, such an important book. Um, It has very deep underlying themes, but you will love it. Um, So anyway, those authors whose novels included themes of disillusionment and cynicism. Second, The Greatest Generation, born 1901 to 1924, also known as the GI Generation, which stands for Government Issue and General Issue. This group grew up during the Great Depression and most likely fought in World War II. News broadcaster Tom Brokaw deemed the greatest generation in the late 90s because of their moralistic attitude towards the conflict. The Silent Generation. This is number three. These people were born from 1925 to 1945. Spending young adulthood in a post-war period, this group is known for accepting government rather than speaking out against it. They are called silent because of their lack of protestation and general pursuit of modest careers and secure domestic lives. But when I think about the silent generation, that's also a time when there were like silent movies, um, and even looking at it through the eyes of a Gen Zer in 2022, they didn't have obnoxious advertising on YouTube and like really forceful marketing and everything is loud and wild, I think, in today's society. But back then everything was black and white. They had quiet radio. Children were not supposed to speak unless they were spoken to. The whole children seen, not heard thing. But that did carry through most of these generations afterwards through the way that some parents raise their kids but that's a silent generation and also silent cal president calvin coolidge he was president from 
I believe 1923 to 1929, but he did earn himself that nickname for being a quiet person. So I just feel like there's a lot of different things, a lot of factors that add to this silent gen. But then we have the baby boomer generation. These members were born from 1946 to 1964. This term derives from the huge population boom following World War II. The term is derived from the huge population boom that occurred in America following World War II. Its members collectively experienced the Cold War, the moon landing, the assassinations of activist Martin Luther King Jr. and President John F. Kennedy, the Vietnam War, and the Civil Rights Movement. They are characterized by national optimism and prosperous consumerism. Then we have Gen X, born from 1965 to 1980 also known as the baby busters since their birth rate was significantly smaller in comparison to the boomers this generation is characterized by reactionism rebellion self-reliance and an overall mistrust of institutional authority but i feel like that's not general because i know quite a few members of gen x who are not like that Notable developments of their time include the fall of the Berlin Wall, the first personal computers, and a previously unparalleled emphasis on education. Next up are the Millennials, or Generation Y. They're called the Millennials because they became adults at the turn of the millennium, so they were born from 1981 to 1996. Key distinctions for this group include remembering the events of 9-11 from personal experience, participating in the rise of the internet, and dealing with financial struggles as a result of the Great Recession. Next up, we have the one and only, ironically unironic, Generation Z. I'm a member of Gen Z. I don't know how to feel about it. We're also referred to as iGen because most of our lives have been spent using personal technology such as smartphones. I feel like a large number of Gen Zers are progressive when it comes to politics, and there's a very small amount of them who are conservative and they just don't talk about it, but we are more racially and ethnically diverse as Americans. Whoever wrote this said that we're better educated and more familiar with non-heteronormative identities than previous generations, but that's the case because all of that stuff didn't exist or wasn't accepted or appropriate even back then. So a lot of things that somebody growing up as a boomer or somebody growing up as the silent gen or even generation X would be like, oh wow, that's that's kind of disturbing. We would be like, oh no, let's normalize that. So we'll have to see if there's any hope left for Gen Z. We're all trying to get through, you know, the best that we can. We're living through really bad inflation as young adults. Like compared to past generations, this is where we would get out there and be on our own and get a good job. But even though we've had some socially progressive Democrat presidents who promised to raise minimum wage and all this stuff is supposed to be better for the living standards of people, we are in such heavy inflation that the money, the little money that we make from our jobs right now, and a lot of us are students and working or just working or students, is barely enough to fill our cars with gas so that we can get back to work the next day. And then a lot of the members, the younger members of Gen Z, were all students during the worst of the pandemic, like during the onset. So when members of older generations tell us that we should be able to get through these things because they're not that hard, we have been through a lot of pressure and stress in this generation. And things aren't like they used to be, so we they're really not even 
comparable anymore, which is kind of sad because, you know, Gen Z has been categorized as the most depressed generation of all of them. And I think that says a lot. But of course, every generation, the members of it went through something very stressful, whether it was like a social issue or anything else that they happened to go through. I asked one of my best friends a little bit earlier what she thinks about being a member of Gen Z. And she said, to me, being in Generation Z is really nice. We have it pretty easy for the most part because, you know, we can get online jobs and stuff like that. And compared to other generations who couldn't do that, it's pretty nice to be able to like do school or work from home. We had Disney movies, cartoons like Little Einsteins and The Wonder Pets, which I loved. <laughs> um, we are the last generation to learn cursive. That's really important because that says a lot about American customs and what educators are pushing through in school and what's important and what's not because the priorities changed. People are typing. And there's a lot of people now in Gen Z or like even younger, like Gen Alpha, the next generation I'm going to talk about, don't even know how to read cursive, let alone write it. But the class of 2021 in particular of Gen Z, we did have cursive in early elementary and then it stopped and it never came back. She also said we have the internet to help us, but that's not always a good thing. Very true. Having the internet to look up things for school, like Quizlet, is a really great resource, a study resource to use, is great. But with social media, it's not always that great. Social media can make us depressed, and there it is, depressed, depression. Unfortunately, that's something we all face, but it also could hype us up. There is a lot of cyberbullying. And social media can also make boys and girls feel very self-conscious when we see models that are plastered all over the place and defined as most beautiful and all this. And then the rest of us are just like, oh, I don't look like that. But the dangers of social media are that people can edit their photos and call it reality. So we're getting all these distorted images of life. But we got to remember, like as my friend said, we should be happy with our bodies because God created them for us. We are all wonderfully made and we don't have to be pressured by social media models because that's not realistic. And for the final generation that is named, because these are the youngest kids out there right now, they are the alpha generation, born from 2013 to 2025. So I have two siblings like me who are part of Gen Z and then our youngest brother is part of Alpha Gen. A social researcher, Mark McCrindle, coined the term for the most recent generation to denote a new start after Gen Z. So this guy is saying that they will be characterized by a more diverse family dynamics, higher racial diversity, higher economic inequality than any of the previous generations. But these kids are also the iPad kids because their toys, if they even play with physical toys anymore, are not like mine. Like I played with puppets and like some of my toys were battery operated, but these kids play on tablets. They know how to work iPhones. Like my little brother, Micah, he's, he just knows how to use technology. No one taught him. He just knows. And that's how everybody his age is. So that's the alpha gen. It's going to be interesting to see them as teenagers because right now the social environment of American society is not good. And they're only like eight, you know? 
or they're, they're in that group from 2013 to 2025. So they're little. They're just small children. They don't know any better. A lot of them had to wear masks in kindergarten last year. It is something else. So for this next part in the show, I do have my parents here with me, and we're going to talk about common social norms and lifestyles, communication, entertainment, and a lot of other things that are very different from how they were to what they are right now. So I have my mom, Natasha Flint. Hi, Madeline. It's nice to be back with you. And my dad, Ted Flint, also listened to the Pac-Man podcast because he's the host of that show on the BMG Network. Please hit like and subscribe. Anyway, thanks for having me back, honey. It's good to have you guys back again. So so starting with culture norms, what was it like for you, Mom, growing up in the 70s as a member of Generation X? Well, um, I grew up with four brothers. And, you know, we were talking earlier about meals and meal prep. And my mother would always prepare our meals. They were always homemade. It was either a baked chicken, beautifully seasoned baked chicken. Of course, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. You know, we would have huge pots just laden with goulash, or we would have like tuna casseroles, and just we had very, very good meals, and they were they were hearty, and they would stretch because you know she had to feed five kids. When I was growing up, life was different. Dad would come home after a full day of work, and we would all sit down at the table together, and um, to to me that was really important. Right. Yeah. And and Gen Z, it's very different. Like I could just use my Uber Eats app or, you know, Grubhub or something and have it delivered to my porch. And a lot of us do that because some of us still have to take public transportation. And if we can't get somewhere, somebody can bring it there for us. Um, And like milkmen, we didn't have anybody to do that. If I saw a random guy come up to my porch and drop off a thing of milk, I would immediately assume I'm being poisoned so I could be kidnapped. Wow. Milkman, this could be a, a lengthy story, but when I was, and I'm told, I know you guys have heard the story, you know, countless times. When I was four years old, we lived in North Albany, and we used to get a milkman coming every couple of days. And now you're a boomer. Right? Oh, I'm a, I'm a boomer. A very, very young boomer. I was born in the extremely late 1950s. So I'm a very young boomer. And in those days, we, we had milkmen, and this milkman used to race up and down the stairs, and I watched him very closely for the longest time. And I said to myself, I went out there one day after he left and I was gonna try to run down the stairs. We had like 14, 15 steps. I was gonna try to imitate him and go just as fast as he did. I got down about the second step and then the the last 14, I I did, I was somersaulting. And when I hit the bottom, (laughs) when I hit the bottom, it didn't hurt half as much as when my father got a hold of me because he told me not to, you know, play on the stairs. I was just going to add that um, when I was growing up, we did have a milkman, and they were always dressed impeccably. Now, when you, if you were a milkman, that was a serious job for you. Our milkman was dressed impeccably. Like I said, he had on the hat. He would come up our stairs. Everybody had a galvanized... Did you have this, Ted? Everyone had a little galvanized compartment where the milk bottles would go. And that was galvanized metal to keep the milk cold until you were able to come out and get it and put it in your fridge. Did you have that? I don't remember. 
<laughs> I, you know, yes, probably, but you know, it was it was so long ago. Anyway, um, yeah, but I just want to move on from that part because there's so much stuff to talk about. But like radio, newspaper, I know a lot of people who don't have radios in their house, like a like an actual physical radio, because we can just put it on iTunes or like listen those, to podcasts on Spotify. People. Wow. <laughs> I mean, how can you not have a radio in your house? Did you have a radio and not a TV ever? No, we had both. We had okay. both. And uh, but definitely radios. And mom and I both being in radio, I mean, we just can't fathom not having a radio. And so many young people, I say young people, people under 40 don't have radios. Millennials. (laughs) Millennials. And uh, liberals basically don't. They they have radios because they want to listen to NPR. But anyway, we had radios. We had uh, we had milkmen. We had uh, ice cream trucks and uh, paper boys. And it was so important to have a radio in your house because if your TV, for whatever reason, if your picture tube went out, then you had your radio. Every TV had a picture tube in those days. Oh my goodness. I don't even, my generation, we're almost not, we don't even use cable anymore for TVs because we can sign on to our Netflix app on our phones or on our computers or something. But we do have TVs in our rooms, but with radio for us, that's not our primary source of information anymore because we could get a text update from Apple News. Yeah, the life is different here. The cultural norms are different and uh, technology. technology. Even the comedy. I'd like to get in the comedy I liked growing up. I love Don Rickles. Everything that you laughed at would be canceled today. Definitely. Don Rickles, you know, made fun of people's ethnicity, their race, everything. Everything that's taboo today, he went with it and it was great. It was hilarious. Yeah, that for me, even I probably wouldn't laugh. I wouldn't laugh because I'd be like, oh, why would we make fun of that? Well, you know, Pick it's on- the way he delivered some of the lines. He just he had a way he was he was just a great stand up comic. And everybody knew that it was it was his shtick. He didn't mean it. His best friend's uh, friend was Harry Goins, black gentleman who used to tour with him for 35 years. So he wasn't you know, he wasn't a racist. He, he loved everybody. And, and I went to see him at SPAC. Back in the 90s, uh, Debbie Reynolds opened up and it was he was great. It was a great show and he's very he was a great entertainer. A lot of comedians now have to be really careful with what they say because they could get canceled immediately. It doesn't take much to be called a racist in 2022, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. You know there's a whole bunch of stuff that's totally different like in the entertainment industry, we, our celebrities and radio hosts and all everything is totally different from how they carry themselves, how they communicate to their fan bases. Like, who are some popular bands or popular movies that were out when you guys were growing up? Well, uh, let's see. When I was growing up, probably the movie, one of my favorite movies was a made-for-TV movie starring uh, James Caan and Billy Dee Williams called Brian's Song. It was about the uh, the the life of running back uh, Brian Piccolo, who died of cancer at age 26. He was a halfback or uh, fullback, I guess, for the Chicago Bears. And he and Gail Sayers became great friends. They roomed together, first black and white to room together in the NFL. That was my favorite movie. Then in 72, of course, The Godfather trilogy began uh, with the first of the three movies. And there's some really, really good movies in those days. It was one in 77, I think, or maybe 73. Uh, Dennis Weaver called um, Duel. He gets chased down this mountain by this guy driving a, a semi. With just them, just him and the and the guy. And you never knew the identity of the guy driving the the semi either. Yeah. It was great. It was it was so suspenseful. Anyway, th- those are three of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And mom, what about you? For us, Star Wars. For us, it had to be Star Wars. Uh, I can remember being a little kid in the theater, and back in those days. Parents could leave their kids in the theater. That's unheard of today for most parents. I would never 
drop you guys off. Well, not you, Madeline, but your younger siblings, just drop them off to watch a movie while I went out shopping. You you can't do it today. But back then, you could. And so my parents would drop us off. We'd sit through the movie, just have a wonderful time. And when the movie was over, they'd come and pick us up. And some of that is probably because crime rates during the time of Gen Z are higher than they've ever been, uh, according to statistics. So how about things like presidents? Who was in the White House at your earliest memory? My earliest memory was 1963. And of course, uh, JFK was in the White House and he was assassinated in November of 63. I remember his his assassination. I remember Johnson. Some of the uh, the TV we watched, the news, we mentioned news earlier, uh, was black and white in those days. We didn't we didn't have a color TV at first. And of course, Nixon and Ford and Carter and... I can definitely remember Ford on TV. Of course, Nixon was president during my very early years, and then he resigned in disgrace after the Watergate scandal. Um, and we got Ford. And I can remember Ford on TV during the newscasts. And I can remember when he decided to pardon Nixon. I can remember that. And then, of course, I can remember Jimmy Carter and the 80s with Ronald Reagan. I mean, that was huge with Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I wish I could say that I remember having George Bush Jr., but I remember President Barack Obama the most because when I was in kindergarten, they had our whole class watch the inauguration. The teachers were making a huge deal about it, and like at, at four or five, however old I was, I didn't really know why, but now I do. And then, of course, President Trump. You know, the excitement around his inauguration and, yeah, the debates and everything, it was amazing for me. I'm sure a lot of other members of Gen Z were among those and some of those millennials who were crying and screaming in devastation. But then the younger members of Gen Z and the alpha generation now have President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, which I really feel bad for them. Dumb and dumber. This is this is just unprecedented, um, you know, as conservatives for us to sit and watch what is going on politically in our country and to watch the decisions that President Biden and Kamala Harris have made with Afghanistan and with the mess that is going on down at our southern border and with so many other issues, the gas prices, the inflation. And they are they when they get on television and they do a press conference, they're just lying, lying to us and expecting us to take it. Right. And these are the people that most of Gen Z are coming of age under, you know, and then things like job opportunities for men or women. Like, was there a gender inequality type thing that's really, really talked about um, for millennials and Gen Z? Um, like male nurses, did they exist in the time of the boomers when you were growing up? Definitely not. And it was, it was an oddity then. It's, to me, it's odd now. People may not want to hear that, but I, you know, where do you think the term angel of mercy comes from? I mean, what do you call a male nurse? Not an angel of mercy. Just a nurse. They may, they may, they may in San Francisco, but. <laughs> right. And to me, it's not about your gender, like what your position is. It's really about your 
medical expertise. Like if someone wanted to go to nursing school and not go through the 12 years of doc- graduate doctorate school, you know, that type of thing. But that's because I'm in a different generation where men can be nurses and women can be surgeons. Maybe some of your listeners have seen the movie Meet the Fockers. Um, Greg Fokker was was ridiculed and made fun of for being a male nurse. And anybody who watches that movie cracks up. It's hilarious. When he tells Jack, played by... Robert De Niro. De Niro. Oh. When De Niro says, so, uh, Greg, what, what do you do? And he says, I'm a nurse. Uh, and they just, they were in shock. And throughout the movie, De Niro's just like, every time he'd be ripping Greg, he'd be calling a male nurse under his breath. Well, Greg, male nurse. You know, he'd go out and just, he'd just rip him the entire movie until the very end. You have to watch him. But it was a great, it was a great flick. Right. But, you know, as Madeline was saying, if you're sick and you're in the hospital and somebody comes in to help you and they're experts at what they do, yeah. and also they have a great bedside manner, it doesn't matter if they're male or female anymore. Right. Yeah. Because I and a lot of my fellow Gen Zers would be like, why wouldn't a man be a nurse? You know, but that just goes to show how much has changed. On the part, I just want to finish up on the male the male nurse thing, because right, male men can be good, great nurses, but it, generally women are the caretakers. They have more, that's more of their nature is to want to look after people and take care of people. But there are men who do it just as well. And I don't mean to offend anyone. Right. I think, you know, years ago, women were offered positions as nurses. That was just part of the culture. And it was traditional for women to be nurses and for the men to be doctors. And it was very rare to have a woman doctor and even rarer to have a male nurse. Wow, that is crazy because I can't imagine that. So another thing that was really important for you guys back then, and it is for some Gen Zers and Millennials, but there's not as much emphasis placed on it, was going to church on Sundays. And a lot of Christians who are Gen Zers, that's like laughable. And that's wrong, I think, because, you know, they say they treat everybody equally, but Christians are treated terribly a lot of times, especially on social media. But I think because... You know, you guys were raised by parents who were part of the traditionalist generation or the silent generation, the greatest generation, those people, the way that they were raised, you know, right. affected how they were going to parent their children. Yeah. I mean, on Sundays, we knew Saturday night to lay our clothes out for church the next morning. We knew we had to get up, get ready. We would have breakfast and go to church. We knew that Sundays meant church. And when we got home, we had a beautiful Sunday dinner. And then, you know, we would, the children would relax. We would, um, my father and brothers might watch a football game. We did our homework. Life was so different when I was growing up. One of my experiences of growing up Catholic in an Irish Catholic family, my father took all nine of us, my eight brothers and sisters and my mother, and we'd go out to breakfast. We'd go to 8.30 Mass. That'd be done by about 9.10. And we'd go to the uh, this place called the Sugar Shack. We'd, we'd have all the pancakes we could eat, and my father knew the, uh, the cook and the owner of the place. The guy had horses, and my father used to shoe us horses. My father uh, was a blacksmith. And... That's what I remember about Sundays, as, as mom said, as Tasha was saying, that we, everything kind of revolved around church for us on a Sunday, as it should, in my view. 
Right. And then for Gen Zers, like I'm on Instagram, I'm saving all my scriptures, like posts of scriptures, and I'm watching stuff on Instagram reels and saving that. And that is where I'm getting some of my Sunday morning material sometimes. But I do go to church still. And there are a lot of members of Gen Z who still love going to church physically, but we can also listen to it online. So that's something too. That's not new, but there are church podcasts and people can listen to those but it's different it's very different it's just like job positions back then if you were a man you were out of the house your job was elsewhere i don't know what but just anything outside the house and then for the woman she didn't have to go to work outside the house because her job was to raise the kids clean the house do the cooking yes so was it like that for you guys yes my mother did go to nursing school and so she she was an LPN, but um, her main role was to be in the house with us and to take care of us. And so she might work part time, or you know she might work nights. I can remember when she she did nights for a while, and that was really hard on her. But she wanted to be home for us during the day, help us get off to school, and um, you know to be there for us when we got back from school. And my generation, a lot of times, they think that motherhood is a bad thing because they believe that women can't have a career and be their own person and also be a mother, but that's doable. It's looked down on almost if you say, I, I want to raise kids. They're like, really? You're going to throw your life away? But there's nothing wrong with wanting to stay home and raise your kids. And there's also nothing wrong with wanting to be very career oriented. Like right now, I am career oriented. I want to be a physician assistant. That's something that I look forward to getting through all the studying for. But back then, it really was different. Well, back in the uh, in the fifties and sixties, my mother, um, you know, she worked in the home. She was a homemaker, raised nine children, and uh, she really sacrificed. I think a lot her career. She was highly educated, had a master's degree, and she was a classically trained pianist. She was accepted at at Juilliard, a school of music, and she was extremely talented. But she was really most happy when she was home with her children. And my father, and that's really what that was. That was her life, and she dedicated her life to us. And uh, I think we're all better off for it. I agree, and I know that when you guys were older, your mother became a substitute teacher. You know, she taught Latin. She was able to do all of those things when she knew that you guys you had a great foundation and you were you were taken well taken care of. Then she went out and became a substitute teacher. Um, she was playing the organ, and so when when you guys are all at a place where you're old enough, and am I old enough <laughs> to getting back into radio myself? You know, and I was in radio before getting married and having my kids. I put all that on hold, as a lot of mothers do, to stay home. I. I was able, because of daddy, I was able to stay home. It's been hard with one income, but that's what we chose so that I could be home with you kids. Homeschooling is a lifestyle for us. It's part of our lives. And it's so important to me right now. I'm actually going through the curriculum and trying to get ready for, for the upcoming school year. And it is exciting and rewarding. Um, speaking of homeschooling, was that common? In growing up as a baby boomer in the 1960s, were people were a lot of people homeschooled? Not 
when I was growing up, and I wish, kind of wish now my mother had homeschooled this because she, she who better than her? She was very educated. You don't have to be the homeschool. Mom and I are both college graduates, but you don't have to be educated. You just need to, to love your child and want what's best for them. But um, no, homeschooling was not a common practice then. Right. I would think that back in the 60s and 70s, the people who homeschooled were looked at as, you know, um, like hippies and yeah, on the fringe. It's become more and more popular nowadays and not just Christian families, you know, people who people who may not be religious are homeschooling. It's just people are realizing that it is better for the child and a better environment for them to be able to learn comfortably at home. And I think that's also part of how um, lifestyles aren't so rigid anymore. The man doesn't always have to be at work nine to five, the mom does the home, the kids all go to school, and then everyone goes to church on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's how it was. And now these next few generations after, there's this like fluidity almost in like a lot of things that we do and what's normalized and there's like almost a more freeing environment to homeschool or to dress how you want or to post what you want or to work whatever job you want and i think you know when we were going through the pandemic because a lot of people came home and began to work from home those families began to homeschool and they didn't go back to school some of the some of the parents didn't go back to work they're still working from home even though you know, according to the CDC, it looks like they're starting to lift some of these regulations. But the pandemic is over. I mean, COVID is no longer a pandemic. It's an and it's endemic, like like the flu. So they, you're right. COVID did change a lot of things, and it normalized. I think not that it wasn't already normal to to homeschool, but I think it's become more acceptable. Yeah, and um, and just like with a lot of other things, some things are unacceptable now that would have been acceptable for you guys, and vice versa especially because of cancel culture, which I don't think is something that you guys had a huge problem with. Cancel culture is insane for me and the rest of the Gen Zers. We hear about it all the time. We're canceling each other. People are canceling us. It's insane. <laughs> the people who claim to love the First Amendment and claim to love freedom are the ones who are, it's a totalitarian movement. It is, even though it's saying that it's not. It's saying it's a collective. It's like somebody's always losing so that one person can be more in control, which is crazy. And can I please just say, please bring Aunt Jemima back. Bring back her beautiful, beautiful smiling face and put her back on that box of pancakes and take off. There's a building on the box of pancakes now, you know, in an effort to get rid of racism or to get, you know, you didn't want to have a black woman on the box because they thought that was racist. No, it's not. I would think if anything, that's just a way to be seen, isn't it? Wouldn't that be... Cool. It, it For us, it made us proud to see a black woman on our box of pancakes. And especially we knew that my mom was going to make those pancakes and they were delicious on a Sunday morning before church. And please bring Uncle Ben back on yeah. the rice. And the Washington Redskins. Yeah. <laughs> and the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. while they're still with us. And Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. That's right. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, I would think the that Cambridge that would. Indians. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bring back the That's Cambridge right. Indians. They, didn't, they never left. The mascot and the name. 
I think there are people in these later generations who are way too literal with everything, so that's why they don't see it as a good form of representation. They're just like, oh, we can't use that, that's mockery. And that's how a lot of people nowadays think. But I thought it was more representation. Um, some other people might agree with me. I would get destroyed on social media if I was like, oh, that looks like representation. Isn't that what you claim you want to see as they take it all off? What's the, what's the term you younger folks use? Cultural appropriation? Yep. Hmm. It's all, it's, I'm telling you, the people behind this are, you don't want to be, it's, it's evil, but they're, they're Marxists. Mm-hmm. They really are at their core, the people who are part of this movement. But I don't want to, I have my own show to talk about that. But anyway, uh, we're getting long on time here. We're going to, mm-hmm. what are we going to do next? We might have to actually do a part two because there's yeah. still so many things that we have to talk about. There's so much holidays. We could get into that in the next episode stereotypes, career paths after college, and what it means to have whatever degree and non-traditional and traditional ways to get to your career. So that is what we'll talk about next time. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of The Essentials. I hope you enjoyed it. And you can find all the rest of my episodes and my dad's on the Pac-Man podcast right here on the BMG Network.